0: There, uh, I'll cheat a little bit. The big electron, the big
1: electron. So I have cheated very badly, you see.
2: What are we talking about? here?
3: There are monsters out in the cosmos that can swallow entire stars. Nothing is more seductive. Yeah, are you feeling it now, Mr. Krabs? Are you feeling it? Of course you feel it. Now, what do you want to know? What I want to know is what's going on.
2: I think it's time to blow this thing get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, let's jam. Good evening, ladies and
0: gentlemen. We've got a great job for you
3: tonight. Let's
1: get right to it. All right, welcome to The Big Electron here on KCO Columbia, 88.1 FM. Thank you for listening. Um, we have a really cool show planned for you tonight. Um, something that I think all of us are nerdy now <laughs> while we were preparing for it. So uh, yeah, we're really excited to be to show you um, to talk to you about uh, the stuff that that we've been talking about um, for the past hour. Um, As we were preparing for the show So if you have any questions or comments In any of the topics that we're going to cover today You can reach us here on Studio At 573-882-8262 You can also text us at that same number And you can also find us on Facebook Where we are The Big Electron And you can drop a message in there as well Um, We all have laptops in here So we can talk to you while we're on air as well
3: Um, So Tonight, we're talking about citizen science. Yes, which is a really cool topic. Mm -hmm. Um, Citizen science is scientific research that is done um, either completely or partially by uh, amateur or non-professional scientists. So this is also known as crowd science or crowdsourcing science. But um, I think it was in 2014, it was officially added to the Oxford Dictionary. Oxford English Dictionary as the term citizen science, which is any scientific work undertaken by members of the general public, often in collaboration with or under the direction of professional scientists and scientific institutions.
0: I like calling them amateur scientists. That's cool. I do too.
3: Because it, nice. it is um, the, the public doing the science uh-huh. usually. And so today's show, we're going to go through um, some of these really cool examples of citizen science that we've come across and um, yeah, so. Yeah,
0: well I guess I'll get us started. Um, Great. The, uh, so I'm Madeline and the, the topic that I wanted to talk about is a little bit more about also not only citizen science but um, using this technology that we all are glued to all the time. And um, this is an article that came out several months ago. Um, and the main idea is looking at people's diet. And I don't know, you guys probably have friends who Instagram their food all the time.
3: I'm guilty. Yeah, are you? (laughs) I am, especially on vacation. What's
2: Instagram?
3: (laughs) I'm not
0: an
1: Instagrammer.
2: (laughs) No, I'm joking. I'm I'm totally joking.
0: So, yeah, um, a lot of people just like to, you know, if you have a really fancy meal, you post it on Facebook or Instagram or any anywhere just so people can be amazed with how pretty your food is. Yeah. Um,
3: That's pretty much the goal for me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but so what this study did was they kind of used that as their way of collecting data and they just had all their participants not quite Instagram, but um, take pictures of all the food they ate all day. doesn't matter if it's the most gorgeous, you know, fancy thing at a fancy restaurant or a bag of Cheetos. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Just just show us. And so they collected all this data from that and they found that people were generally eating, I believe it was like over 14 hours across the day, which sounds Mm. like a really long time. It was 14 or 16 or something. That doesn't Um, seem like a long time. It does seem like a long time, but if you think about like, well, if I get up at... 7 a.m. and eat breakfast, and then 14 hours later is 9 p.m., and I'm just having a little something before I go to bed, whatever. Um, Then it seems more reasonable. Yeah. So they tracked all this stuff, and then they asked the participants to try restricting that to 10 or 12 hours. And this study was – they reported everything in kilograms. So I believe the um, participants ended up losing over the the course of a couple months. They lost – 10 kilograms, which is what? Something like, like 20 about 20 pounds. pounds, 20 pounds. Yeah. That's a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, and really all they changed, you know, they didn't say you need to eat more or eat healthier. You don't need to exercise anymore. Just like try to, try to keep it to 10 to 12 hours. Um, and that's really cool in my opinion. And um, so they don't say that there's any fancy reason for why, you know, it doesn't speed up your metabolism or anything. It's just
1: you eat fewer calories Yeah, and we know, That'll make you lose weight. I think it's just being more a little bit more conscious about what you're eating. Yeah. Like, and the fact... And you're thinking you're actually fact thinking, you thinking about it. Right, right. Yeah. Like, oh, I actually grabbed like an entire bag of chips mm-hmm. instead of I served a portion of it, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. or I made popcorn and I ate it all while I was watching X... Sure. You While know, well, I was Netflix and, and, it's and chilling,
3: little, it's a little bit more um, engaging when it's actually a photo of it too. So oh, I, I guess yeah. like if yeah. I wrote down everything I ate throughout the day, mm-hmm. I would, I could examine that and say, oh okay, yeah, I didn't need to eat that bag of chips, for mm-hmm. example, or maybe I only needed to eat half that salad I ate. But if I like take a photo of chips and it's all greasy <laughs> and like smashed at the bottom, yeah. right? And stuff like yeah.
2: that.
1: because we're a- we're so visual about stuff. I think that. We see it in words, so like we know what it means, but mm-hmm. not necessarily, but we see it and it's like, oh, I am like a pig, right? <laughs> like <Yeah>. I just <laughs> ate all of this. Mm-hmm. I need to hit the gym and don't leave in like three hours.
2: Yeah, if if I was to write down, like, oh, I had fast food for lunch, I might not think very emotionally about that. But if sure. I took a picture mm-hmm. of the Arby's uh, roast beef sandwich, I, I might say, what am I doing to myself? <laughs> yeah. um, So it's
3: harder to compartmentalize.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. And even, you know, they said that even though these people didn't change really what they were eating, so they were still eating that fast food. Mm -hmm. It's just that if you're, if you just cut yourself off sooner, you're just eating fewer calories. And it's, it was kind of more successful than a traditional diet because a traditional diet, you're like, well, I really want the Cheetos, but I guess I'll eat an apple instead. And then you feel proud of yourself. And then later you're like, oh, no, I can, I can cheat in this other way because I've been really good. Well, this way it didn't feel like a diet to those participants. Mm-hmm. So they were much more likely to kind of stick with it.
2: But the general idea was they were eating for a smaller portion of the day. Yep. So what do you think it might have just been that it was more trouble to get the camera out again? And or take oh, a, it's
0: a, never a, trouble to get a camera out these oh, right, days. Phones,
2: yeah. right, I Instagram and yeah. so on, yeah. That it's stuff. an app, Adam. I, yeah. I, I just <laughs> looked it up right now <laughs> to find out, yeah. I'll, I'll use that for cat photos. Oh, uh, oh, that's you,
3: a good uh, use for Instagram, that's the <laughs> only use. reason the
2: internet exists. Um, cats, yeah. Okay. I'm a scientist, uh, <laughs> I'm using the technology for its intended purpose. Um
1: pretty sure that's what they intended for so i wonder
3: if i'm sorry to go back to the food i wonder if so they cut them off earlier in the evening or just it doesn't said, matter doesn't they matter? just
0: said up to you do you want to you know however you want to do it if you want to push back breakfast an hour mm-hmm. that's cool if you want to just cut yourself off sooner in the day but just try to stick to this more time-limited diet
3: hmm. i'm gonna have to try that yeah Twenty pounds—that's a lot. That is a lot. But, I, I, I but more over, specifically, I, I want to see how long I eat throughout oh, the yeah, day. Oh yeah, sure. I guess, like you said, fourteen hours doesn't really seem that mm-hmm. big of a deal when you convert it to time. But fourteen hours of eating—yeah, a lot of. And eating. after
0: I read this article, there for a couple of weeks, you know, it would get to eight or nine at night, and I was going to eat something, and I was like, no. I should just drink water. <laughs> you know, it's close to bed. I can handle that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would suggest it. That was cool. So, they lost all of that weight over a period of? It was a
1: couple months. A couple of months. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: So, yeah, it wasn't one of those like unhealthy, transformative, whatever mm-hmm. that's just going to come right back.
1: It's just like being it was conscious a of change. where you're. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you're.
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, if you're laxing on your New Year's resolution, <laughs> maybe February is a good time uh, to remind yourself.
2: Timely. <laughs> yeah. <Okay.
0: laughs>
1: just in time for spring break. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> just in time to quit all our resolutions. Start up
1: another one. So yeah, it's a
0: little bit citizen science. Some of mm-hmm. our other stuff is a little bit more um,
3: strict into that that definition.
2: It's interactive though.
3: So oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would say one of the oldest um, types of citizen science or that is a pretty widely recognizable Kind of relates to what Jackie's going to talk about next, but it's a SETI at home, which started back in, I think, 1999, and it was um, using people's computers when they weren't on it to try to find aliens. Oh, wow. So that's been around. So it's a citizen science that's been around Mm -hmm. since 1999, so 17 years. Wow. But um, it led to... Our next citizen science project we're going to talk that Jackie's going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, so
1: the next one it's uh, it's a really cool one. It was developed in the early two thousands, um, actually in two thousand, and it was developed by a group of in chemistry, nonetheless, Department of Chemistry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at the uh, Stanford University, and this is what they did. So, this thing is called Folding at Home at home, and if you Google it. Um, it takes you to the website and they're saying. So, the first thing that you see it says, Today we are 113,233 computer strongs, outputting 19,356 teraflops of computing power. So you're going to think, well, I don't know what any of those words mean. It's it's a lot of numbers. (laughs) It's It's a big thing. Um, So this program, it's actually pretty cool because it works, as Anikita was saying, when you're not using your computer, but you're actually helping science. So this program, um, it says folding, and it's related to protein folding research. The reason why, uh, so we've talked a, a lot about proteins Mm -hmm. in in our past shows and how important they are and how thanks to the technology that we have nowadays um, we're able to see how they are shaped and so from there on we can look at whether we can modify it in some way to to prevent it from doing something that is you know if it's a virus like HIV or if it's uh, a protein that contributes to cancer growth and things of that nature. Just many, many things um, that can cause disease. And and so scientists are really interested in seeing how the structure looks so that you can design something to stop it or to increase it. Um, you can also look at at that way. So the problem is that it requires a lot of computing power mm-hmm. because even though you have the software and if you have really good servers, Proteins are ginormous mm-hmm. compared to just a single molecule. They have uh, they have a lot, a lot of different things that that can happen. Different bonds. I mean, we're talking, you know, like millions of bonds, and each atom behaves differently, and <clears throat> it all it it changes a lot. And so, what this team did at Stanford University is they created a they call it work units or um, computers from people. Mm-hmm. So what you do is when you go to their website, you can download a screensaver. Mm-hmm. So the way it works is when you're not using your computer, you just leave it alone. It's The screensaver is going to start. And instead of showing pretty images, it's going to start using your computing power to do those calculations. So imagine instead of having four, 10 computers Mm -hmm. at the Department of Chemistry in Stanford, Mm -hmm. you're using 113,000 computers around the world. (laughs) That increases your computer power by (laughs) a lot. Sure. A lot. And um, I said they're outputting over 19,000 teraflops of Mm -hmm. computing power. A teraflop is the measure of a computer speed, and is expressed as a trillion point operation per second. It's also wow. an
2: awesome word. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so it is a lot, a lot of computer power that you can come um, when using all of this, this other people's computers. Uh, then you can you can do some pretty neat calculations in advance. Um, your research in that way so this is uh, it's called folding at home and they have so they started in in 2000 where I think they started with like about four or five people now they've extended to a kind of an institute they they have 20 about 20 they have a lot of uh, commercial collaborations now they also, mm-hmm. Uh, but most of the grants come from the NSF and cool. NIH and things of that nature. As of now, uh, as of the end of last year, 2015, mm-hmm. they have published 129 papers, scientific wow, papers, wow. that con- that derive from this. That's cool. This software, That's this awesome. screensaver. So mm-hmm. you at home are contributing to science if you download this screensaver by,
3: you know, just letting them use your unused computer power. Yeah, imagine how long that would have taken if people weren't signing their computers up to it. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, so to give you some context with the teraflops, um, I have this wiki article up about supercomputers and some of the ones that they're talking about. So in 2010, one of these um, supercomputers reached um, 1,600 megaflops. So... That would be ten to the Mm sixth. What's a terra? Is that to the twelve?
1: Yes. So ten to the So yeah, that's (laughs) wow. You know, this (laughs)
0: supercomputer pales in comparison to you know your just your average Joe's computers all linked up. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that that is really great about this is it saves money for you know, whoever is using it. So, you know, they're using some NIH dollars, but, uh, or sorry, NSF usually. Um, But uh, if you were to have a supercomputer, it not only requires a lot of energy, but all that energy, when you're using that many computers, you generate a lot of heat.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And so some of these uh, cooling systems are ridiculously expensive. So um, this says some of them can use, they can cost $400 an hour to operate, just just the cooling, never mind the computing, yeah. the, you know, computing the power. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or 3.5 wow. million per year. Yikes. So, yeah, I mean, you know, your little computer is helping with
1: that too. It's helping with that too, because you don't have to use all of the servers yeah. to do the computing power. And when we talk about simulations, so you have to take into account everything that can, if you want to take into account everything that encompasses that protein, um, the simulations that you do are in the Nanosecond Mm -hmm. range Millisecond Mm -hmm. at most Um, And then with that Then you can see how it moves And things of that nature I had a friend I have a friend actually Who is She's doing um, Computer um, Computational chemistry And she's also studying Protein folding Mm -hmm. And It took her So we were together In a summer program And the entire summer The two months That we were doing research For her stuff To move, Mm -hmm. it took her for, I believe it was about one second of simulation. It took her the entire two months that we were there.
0: Yikes.
1: And that was a lot of computing power. And then you have to go and check it and see if you actually made the right simulation and then analyze a little bit of the data when it's, you know, one on a second or millisecond or something Mm -hmm. like that, I think. For I I can't remember exactly what... I I believe it was one millisecond that lasted like three, four hours.
0: Wow. That's awesome.
1: Simulation. So using all of these computers, all of this computing power that comes together has brought 129 papers so far.
3: That's awesome.
1: And I think that as more and more people have access to technology cuz keep in mind this started in 2000. Sure. It wasn't, you know, back 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 then, I don't I don't think many of us had internet at home and now it's yeah. impossible to be
3: anywhere without
1: Anywhere it. without internet. And so
3: yeah. It's cool. hard to get away from the internet, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and and you know, buying a laptop now it's cheaper than it was back in 2000. Yeah. It's more accessible so so as time goes on we should have ex-
3: exponentially more hopefully that's users.
1: that's yeah that's that's the case so if you're interested um about it it's called folding at home at home and um, this is from stanford and they they show you all the statistics about mm-hmm. this cool really cool project they have simulations and they show you images and, and stuff it's probably that they not have the done. only one
0: you know i'm sure there, there's 129 from this program but there's probably others that are doing similar things in other fields Mm
3: -hmm. I was going to say the at home concept for citizen science projects is pretty popular so like I mentioned earlier there's SETI at home yeah, that just like folding at home um, it just uses your computer while you're not using it to look for alien signals and there's this other one I found called Rosetta at home that is also involved with protein folding
0: Cool. yeah it's cool. a big topic, protein yeah. folding.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that that helps. I I think that's one of the reasons why it's going so. It's growing exponentially. It's just it's way easier, you mm-hmm. know, with the technology that we have mm-hmm. available with computers to look at that than to try to figure out the structure yeah. of the protein, crystallize which crystallize. It, it mm-hmm. takes a lot of time, crystallography. Also, yeah. it's kind of expensive, and you know, it's it doesn't great. Doesn't always work. Doesn't always work. People have their entire PhD mm-hmm. career focusing on crystallizing one single protein when they finally get it. Hey. Then,
3: <laughs> but well, since we're on the topic of protein folding, um, I'm going to bring up a little bit more active version of helping of citizen science that helps students with protein folding, which is a computer game called Foldit. So, this was introduced by the University of Washington, and it is in conjunction with the Center for Game Science. And um, Fold It, you have three simple rules to follow. so you download the program and all it tells you to do is one, pack the protein, meaning you're given a protein and you're supposed to make it as small as possible, make it take up as little room as possible.
0: So it probably looks like a giant snake or something when you get it, like a big long string?
3: Yes, it's almost, well, so typically fold it seems to work with, if I'm reading this correctly, work with alpha helices, which look like slinkies. So it's okay. a bunch of slinkies connected. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, with yeah. other random shapes in between.
2: Well, it, it should they should be able to pretty confidently already say where the alpha helix is. Sure. On
3: that, yeah. Sort of. So
2: these are yeah. pretty common structures that they would recognize, but anything bigger than that. Yeah, it gets scale, really
3: complicated. Maybe. Right. So I guess if we do want to talk about protein folding a little bit, there's three um, secondary structures. There's, Well, I guess there's really two secondary structures, which is an <laughs> alpha helix and a beta sheet. So an alpha helix looks like a slinky and a beta sheet looks kind of like a sheet folded back and forth on top of each other. And then um, the third is a lack of these two, which is called disordered structure. So we can kind of figure out where these little structures are, but figuring out how how all of them fit together over a massive protein, like Adam mentioned, is really where the problem comes in. Mm -hmm. So you want to pack it. There's all these things going on. Step one, make it as small as possible. Step two is called hide the hydrophobics. So hydrophobic regions of the of a peptide or a protein are places that hate water. These are scared of water regions. So you want to make sure that if you dumped this protein in water, that anything that's labeled as hydrophobic is towards the inside is hidden from the outside. So they all kind of hang out together, they all, all the hydrophobics. Yeah.
0: As yes. far away from water yeah. as you can.
3: Yeah. Right in the right. core. So everything, yeah. And then the last step is that nothing can take up the same space. That and, seems reasonable. Yeah. That seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. Two people can't be in the same exact space. So when you combine these three rules and you let it loose in the public, um, you'll get lots of different possibilities. Mm-hmm. And so instead of taking these supercomputers to try to analyze a protein structure to figure out where everything should fit, it kind of crowdsources um all the possible options. So instead of looking at every single possibility, mm-hmm. they start by looking at what the citizen scientists have discovered. Cool. And they see which one of those is the best. And it's kind of like we were talking about earlier the um infinite monkey theorem. <laughs> <laughs> so if you w-
0: Yeah, I I believe how I heard it was The theory that if you had an infinite number of monkeys all with their infinite number of little um, typewriters that eventually one of them would um, complete the whole complete set of Shakespeare's works verbatim. Every word, um, every letter in its correct place.
3: So that's kind of the theory that... Fold it's kind of operating under that we are the monkeys, mm-hmm.
0: slightly and, more informed monkeys. Yes,
3: because we actually have rules and we yeah. can well. and we can stick to them. Well. <laughs> we hope. And then yeah, and then you get to it, and hopefully one of the things that you come up with, whichever one's the best, that the citizen scientists fits the stuff. Yeah, that's um. the one that the scientists move forward on. Mm-hmm.
1: Cool. So instead of scanning all the different possibilities, which would be infinite, Mm -hmm. they would just look at what people have. Following those rules, they've already have shortened the list, and then from there to like scan and say, okay, well, this two seem kind of reasonable, so let's move forward do with Do you get that like one. a
0: notification if yours was chosen in the semifinalists? Because that would be
3: awesome. <laughs> you know, I'm not oh, wow. sure, because I only played with it for a couple of minutes, uh-huh. and I was not a semifinalist. <laughs> you do get a <laughs> notification. But I uh, do plan on playing with this more. And so they have some... So each individual structure, they call a puzzle, but they'll also have contests oh. where they try to like really push for one structure to be mm. to be solved by saying okay we're having a contest. Cool. Everybody work on this I one right. puzzle. Awesome. Cool. And so there were some really great results um, yeah. involved with it. Uh, one of them. One of them was that uh, Foldit Gamers solved the riddle of the HIV enzyme within three weeks. Yeah. So do you want to tell sure. us Sure. So
0: um what I saw from this article was that the enzyme that they ended up solving is called a protease. Um, and a protease is an enzyme. You can tell anytime you hear the word, the name of a protein and it ends with A-S-E, ace, then you know it's an enzyme. And enzymes just do things. Tons of things. Doesn't matter. They have, um, but they have a certain role they play.
3: They're not just like floating around. Yeah,
0: they're not yeah. gonna be like part of a structure just kind of handing hanging out. They they do things.
3: They're movers and, they, and shakers. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Basically they they help a process speed up or take place. Yeah. Uh, and, and so this one specifically um,
0: is a protease and so it breaks down proteins. And it's really crucial in forming the packaging of this HIV viral um protein so that it can um package itself and then go on to infect its ne- next um cell. So yeah, it's a you know, those are those are excellent excellent drug targets because mm-hmm. you know, rather than just targeting something that just sits there and you know, it looks you, at you very pretty. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if you if you have a bunch of building blocks and you know, say someone's trying to build a house, you could try to target every single brick, or you could just target the guy that's putting them all together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's you know, that's the idea here: target the the enzymes. And so yeah, with this thing, they have a picture of what what this protein looks like now, and now they can figure out well, how could we try to gum this machine up? How could we try to jam it? Mm-hmm. What kind of drugs or
1: um, new molecules could we design that would do that? Pretty awesome stuff. And this happened back in September of 2011. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine all the things that they have accomplished ever since. um, Which, you know, of course, HIV, it's a very hot word. Mm -hmm. And so we hear a lot about it in the news. And so it makes um, all the way to. It's an ongoing problem. It's a
0: really, really hard problem to solve. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. One of the really cool things about this um, publication that you're talking about is that uh, the scientists and the gamers were the co-authors on the cool. paper so if you got to solve it you did get a notification but by, by being a co-author that's really awesome yeah I hope I mean I I'm gonna look into it after the show but I hope one of them's like a little eight year old kid or something oh like yeah that. I hope so
0: yeah I've been here for this is my fifth year and I have what like three publications <laughs> with my name on it it's so a way to start young. Nice. yeah <laughs> There
1: that's very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's pretty cool. Uh, we're gonna go on a short musical break, and then we'll be back with more citizen science. You're listening to the Big Electron on KCAU Columbia 88.1 FM. All right. Welcome back to the Big Electron here on KCOU 88.1 FM. We're talking about citizen science and all the cool stuff that we can do to help science, um, even though if we're not in a lab, or if even if you're not a quote unquote paid scientist. Even if
3: you're just. I mean, because I think everyone's a scientist, yeah. If you just, <laughs> just leave your computer
2: on. <laughs> just leave your
1: computer on, and then you'll contribute to science. So there you go. Uh, Adam, what do you have for us?
2: Well, I would like to tell you the story of Luis von Ahn. Uh, he is a professor at Carnegie Mellon University, uh, and you probably know him. For uh, something that he's done to annoy you, which has already been referenced a couple times during the show. And it's called uh, ReCAPTCHA. This is a company that he created based on his own software. He sold it to Google in 2009. I'm getting all of this from Wikipedia. So um, there's another bit of citizen science, or at least citizen interneting.
1: One of the biggest
2: Mm -hmm. Um, examples. but that's all just sort of biography. The You may have been doing some, uh, well, this wouldn't be science, but you were doing some citizen um, reference library building without realizing it because of reCAPTCHA for years. Oh. So reCAPTCHA is that little uh, image of sort of blurred... Fuzzy looking text that looks like it's been photocopied off of something that occasionally pops up on your screen when you're trying to log into something and they want a security password. You're supposed to retype um, with your keyboard mm-hmm. the that. Uh, characters yeah. that you see in this little image.
1: These are the ones photograph. that we usually see, like, we just want to check you're actually a human. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: Are yeah. you exactly. a robot? Yeah. Let's waste your time. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> I and hate the way. These. <laughs> But here's the thing. Those bits of text that you type in to prove that you are not a robot, mm-hmm. those are not just random bits of text showing the same thing over and over again. Those are snippets of actual documents that a machine did not know how to read. Oh. That's why you can do it and a machine oh, can't.
3: That's really cool. Oh.
2: That's how they them. I have them.
3: so much more respect for it. Yeah.
2: yeah I, I learned this an hour ago. So this is not, Yeah. So I see recently, everybody's faces going, yeah. oh, my God. Uh, yeah. so it
1: all also, makes sense
0: now. Yeah. I've also seen somewhere, um, it'll be like a picture of someone's house and they're, the number, and you had to like put the house number on there or something.
2: I've seen that too. But they're I, pictures.
0: They're not, you know, they're not text. So it makes me wonder if maybe, because a lot of people are working on um, being able to teach computers how to recognize certain things out of pictures. Oh, yeah. yeah um, so be. I wonder. Maybe that's... Hmm. Maybe it's...
2: Hmm trying to give it some some like some background information. Yeah, there you go. I, I don't know anyway, about that one because I've seen that too. But sounds cool. But, but yeah, the general idea, at least when it started, before they started taking pictures of people's houses for some reason, <laughs> um, um, was translating documents that had been scanned into a computer database and then um, with the idea of converting it into text to put online in various online or electronic databases. And Google Books, you may be familiar with that one, Mm -hmm. Uh, they love putting all sorts of huge quantity texts up there, Um, either available for sale or available online. And a lot of that, if it was fuzzy or otherwise, couldn't Uh be scanned in properly and converted directly to text, they would have you do it. Uh So thank you.
0: So it's kind of helping ease our transition from classic paper books to this new digital, digital era
2: that is exactly what it's uh, supposed to do cool. yeah you know? so
3: that is awesome
2: it it surprised the heck out of me when i read this so i <laughs> i came into researching this uh, in my long career researching louise Fanon <laughs> of the last hour uh, again uh-huh. um, from a language point of view um, because i find that awesome i love uh, linguistics and languages and how all that stuff works. And Luis von Ahn, after uh, making his bazillions of dollars selling his company to Google, uh, started up another one, which is still operating, and it's called Duolingo.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I've used Duolingo. He is
2: the co-founder and CEO of this language learning software. Mm -hmm. So the idea of Duolingo is not, on its surface level, got anything in common with reCAPTCHA. It's just, it's a language learning software. Mm Um,
0: like any of the others, Rosetta right. Stone or any yeah, of Type them. of exactly. thing. So yeah. it's right. it's
1: an app. Well, nowadays, you can also do it on your computer, but an app, uh, real quick, that, let's say you want to learn Spanish or French or something. You download it, and then you tell it, okay, I want to learn French and, or whatever. And then you said, like, okay, you're going to do two or three lessons at a time or per day, and then... They make you do like a whole bunch of different stuff uh, Mm -hmm. Top words or translate from Let's say French to English And then English to French um, And sometimes they make you talk So it's And then you do lessons So kind of like Rosetta Stone But this one is on your phone And then it like bugs you If you haven't done your lesson that day
3: Yeah apparently you can Be casual, regular, serious Or insane Mm -hmm. Going from 5 up to 20 minutes Per day so it's so. casuals five minutes or if you're just crazy twenty minutes a day. Yeah.
2: If I am correct, there's there's quizzes on here, right? They can yeah. quiz you. Yep. And have you fill in the blank, for example, mm-hmm. yeah. of a yeah. of a word and say, Well what does this what does this word mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. And they and they go back. So I use it to learn pretending to learn French. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that's probably how and, most people use it. I yeah. pretended to learn German. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So what Some people
1: are more serious than others, like, I assume. But, uh,
2: <laughs> what if I told you that sometimes when it asks you to translate a word, the computer program itself doesn't know what the correct answer is?
0: Oh, that seems wrong. What?
2: It is wrong. It's evil, isn't it?
3: Yeah. But no. that's
2: fact. <laughs> He's using Duolingo in the same way that he was using ReCAPTCHA.
3: Huh. Oh, my Your God. Your
2: answer is the first that it's heard. Every once in a while, it'll just spike in this difficult word or unknown phrase or something for the really advanced learners okay for people who've established that they speak a little bit of this language at least Uh Mm -hmm. and they'll say okay well what's this one mean and if they put something in uh for an answer then they'll compare it among all the other people that's asked this question to and it'll see well what have most people said that this word means probably the majority of them you know so they're like voting right. on it. And then they'll send it out to other people and give it like a multiple choice format or something uh-huh. like that and say, um, which one of these? And if everybody agrees and they reach a consensus, that that's what this word means. And that becomes part of their dictionary.
3: Huh.
2: And the and
3: idea. So we curating idea, a dictionary.
2: Yes. With wow. the idea of then using that to uh, Help. do a machine translation of uh, <laughs> English Language web pages, most of the internet is in English, or at least it has been mm-hmm. uh, for most of its existence now, into the target language, whatever that may be, whatever language they're learning. Wow. Hmm. So he claims, uh, Von Ahn, uh, the CEO of Duolingo, claims that um, he can translate all of um, all two billion words of the English language Wikipedia into Spanish in 80 hours and he will do it based on the free labor that he collected from all of you Duolingo. <laughs>
1: Whoa. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. <laughs> he claims. Shout out to, I know, two people who use Duolingo to learn Spanish. Yeah. One of them is my live maid. One of them lives just three hours away from here. So <laughs> shout out to them <laughs> for helping.
2: Thanks for that. Thanks, Thanks for
1: much. that. Thanks for so that. Cool. But didn't you mention something about Google Translate?
2: Well, yeah. So this is where it gets a little bit complicated. Okay. Von on An and Duolingo... Claim that they can translate this, and they can—they can certainly run the entire, for example, they can run the entire English language Wikipedia through their programs, and uh, come up with a Spanish version of it. Wow. Here's the question: Is it correct? Yeah, mm-hmm. is the Spanish language version actually accurate? Can you build an accurate? dictionary of a foreign language based entirely on translations created by people who admit they don't even speak the language. (laughs) (laughs) That's the problem. Mm -hmm. And the answer is no, you can't. It is not an accurate translation, (laughs) at least not 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. There are mistakes that are inevitably going to come up in this system because you have nobody checking for idiomatic uses or Mm -hmm. phrases or something like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. You know, we use these type of phrases all the time, you know, that are just like Wouldn't have any meaning if you translated them literally word for word. And every language has these. So Mm -hmm. what do you do with that? Um, A non-native speaker probably doesn't know them Mm -hmm. in the target language. So Hmm. um, this kind of thing, this idea that you could create an accurate translation dictionary based purely on non-expert speakers of the target language, is probably not the case. Mm -hmm. And there are problems that have been noted with his translations. Sure. Mm -hmm. What if you combined it? What if you combined this process with professional translators?
0: It would be kind of like, and he does protein thing. You, you know, you narrow it down and then you Mm -hmm. send it to the experts.
2: Yep. So what if you narrowed it down and then sent it to the experts? Well, guess who employs a whole bunch of experts to back up their user-created translations? It's, it's, they're back again. It's Google, of (laughs) course. Google Translate. (laughs) So wow. the same so folks what did they that do? bought the same folks that bought Recaptcha from bonan some years ago, they have Google Translate, which is probably, I think, the most popular translation service, machine translation service on the internet. huh. You you copy in text mm-hmm. and it spits out
1: the um, translation. a
2: translation. translation. And
1: most of the time, it's not the exact translation. I mean, right. if you if it's a, a big chunk, if it's like a couple of words, then you yeah. can kind of figure it out, but. For if you want to translate like a big chunk, I like the lyrics to "Let It Go,"
2: have you heard <laughs> yeah. of those? Yeah, that's a like game that people like to play. <laughs> yeah, the, that's a. Uh, if I if we're thinking of the same thing, that's a YouTube video. Yeah. By this this woman who ran uh, the lyrics to "Let It Go" through Google Translate in a bunch of different languages mm-hmm. and spit it back out in English and sang the result. Uh huh. And it's uh. It's hilarious. Well, you can find Completely out. different. Yeah. yeah I, I would say it's. Um, the message gets lost a little <laughs> in translation and and retranslation. Yeah. So, um, Google's translate's not perfect by a long shot, but what they're trying to do is very similar to what Vonan is still trying to do. They have a, a translate community um, mm-hmm. where, if you ever use Google Translate, you may see a little prod or link saying, "Want to help us improve our translation? Click here." Mm-hmm. Well, if you do that, then and you claim to be a speaker of more than one language, you can yourself give feedback of the same kind, but not in secret, Mm -hmm. but in, you know, deliberately uh, feedback to Google Translate, where this will be poured over by their professional translators to see if they can come up with um, a, uh, a set of rules that can sort of guide which stuff is good and which stuff is bad. Cool. They only do that for languages, though, where they are employing people as translators. So, for example, if you're trying to work with a language that is not hugely you know, used online, and this could be a language with many millions of speakers, but is isn't, isn't widely used mm-hmm. on the Internet, mm-hmm. they might not have anybody mm. who's double-checking this, and their entire translation service might be based purely on Mm, uh, the crowdsource. crowdsourced. People. The crowdsourced stuff that you put into it <clears throat> as a speaker of both English and this other language. So uh, it can be pretty bad. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So it gets, from what I'm told, I don't know that I could verify this, I'm told it's pretty accurate for Spanish most of the time.
1: For the most part. I mean, um, the the context, they change it. Sure. Uh, I'm, grammar, it doesn't, It it, it translates literally from like word by word and uh-huh. the way Spanish works uh, in order for you to build a sentence you actually have to switch some stuff sure. the way that you would do it in, in English so um, for the most part it's, it, it, it sends the message uh, it has some incorrect grammar in there uh, but for the most part like if you if let's say you Adam who mm-hmm. I see, do you speak Spanish? No. Okay, so let's say Adam wanted to communicate with my mother and he were to type something, then my mom, who speaks Spanish, were to read it, um, she would mostly understand or based on how the translation out. was. She will figure it out exactly what you were trying to say. Okay. So in right. Spanish, I, I would assume also like... Maybe Portuguese and mm-hmm. all of those other languages that are very similar to, mm. to Spanish um, are
2: I've, kind I've, of like that. But I've heard that um, the vocab is pretty accurate, but the grammar is pretty messed yeah. up, mm-hmm. as yeah. you just described, for quite a few European languages. Mm-hmm. What if you start getting into languages that aren't historically related to English and to each other? Mm. Because most of the languages of Europe or Mm. European origin, like Spanish and English Mm -hmm. and German and Italian and all these, they they come from a common origin many thousands of years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if we share a common origin, if those languages share a common origin with languages of Africa, Mm -hmm. of most of Asia, uh, of anywhere in the Americas uh, prior to colonization, if... Those common origins are so far in history, we can't even detect them. They must be many, many thousands of years ago. And their grammar is completely different. In some languages, the boundary between a word uh, and a larger phrase isn't even clear. Right. So you can get just hilariously wrong stuff. <laughs> because that sounds awesome. those are the yeah. same languages that are the least likely to have anybody
3: right. professionally mm-hmm.
2: curating yeah. it. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So it can be just a complete mess. I, I highly recommend finding... <laughs> Your Facebook friends who may occasionally post in, say, Chinese Uh um, or Vietnamese or Korean or Japanese. And Google translate that a Uh couple of times and see what happens. And it will be... You will be concerned. (laughs) You will be asking your friend, is everything okay? I heard that you were um, putting a toaster on your head. (laughs) Like, it'll be just complete gibberish after a while. Awesome. Word boundaries just get all wrong. So Uh, We're still we're still learning yeah. how, to, uh, how to do this. But crowdsourcing is... So
0: we've come very far. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. cool. That's really cool. I think it's neat, too. The, um, the idea that there has to be a consensus makes it a little bit troll-proof. Like, that's the, you know, if the cat is for internets, it's all for internet, or if the internet is for cats, it's also for trolls. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, the idea that you have to have some threshold, you know, X many people say it must be this way. It's probably that way. Your trolls aren't likely to skew that too much in one of the common languages. In the other ones, you could be concerned.
2: The Duolingo translation program and most of Google Translate is going based on probably. Cool. Usually it works, probably.
3: (laughs) Cool. So the last citizen science project we're going to talk about tonight um, is one that, again, invites the public to come in and try to figure things out. Um, except it, it guides a little bit too. So this is called Snapshot Serengeti. And this is um, just one of my personal favorite ones that I've found. <laughs> um, and so there are hundreds of camera traps in the Serengeti National Park in Tanzania that are constantly just capturing the animals in the national park in their inter- in their daily interactions or wanderings.
1: Natural mm-hmm. environment.
3: Yes. And... There's just so much data being developed. There's hundreds of traps. They're recording 24 hours a day, and this has been going on for, I believe, years. And there's just so much data that the the graduate student that's assigned (laughs) to (laughs) analyzing all this data doesn't have enough time in their day to analyze it all and, you know, determine results off of this as well as, you know, just living life and trying to finish up their thesis and all of that stuff, so... One of these graduate students um, came up with this project called Snapshot Serengeti. And um, Snapshot Serengeti, if you go onto their website, it's snapshotserengeti.org if you're interested. And you can click on classifying an animal. So then you get a picture of an animal. And you get some categories, whether it's pattern, color, horns, tail, build. And you get to say, well, this animal in this picture kind of looks like a giraffe and so you might click giraffe and then it will then filter down to all of the giraffe options that they believe live in this national park and then you can analyze based on pattern of their skin or how what shape their horns are or what shape their tail is what their build's kind of like then you can filter down to finding the exact type of giraffe it is mm-hmm. and that will help the scientists who are analyzing this data kind of narrow in what they need to know if they're just trying to find one specific buffalo's interactions, then instead of going hundreds of hours and hundreds of days of film, they can just, you know, use this filtering system that citizen scientists have done to narrow into what they need and just pull that data and pull those photos and go through those photos. Cool. So, yeah, I think it's really cool. <laughs>
1: and here you're just looking at a picture right it's actually pretty high quality i'm I'm on the website right now and so you it's pretty close and then they give you they said well does it look like a cat like a dog cow horse you have like only like eight options and then from there on then you classify all of these things it sounds Mm -hmm.
3: pretty neat and you can actually um if you're looking at the screen there's a play option and it's a ser- There's usually a series of photos with each animal, so you can watch them moving. Cool. And it might even need like that as part of the filter.
0: Awesome. So
3: you can get really specific with really figuring out what it is that's going on. Mm-hmm.
0: This sounds like something kids would like a lot. I know a lot of kids who get really obsessed with knowing all the dinosaurs and all the types. But like you know, if you're into just animals in general, like now you're also oh, yeah. learning about all the different types of
1: animals that Absolutely. live. Absolutely. In this park mm-hmm. That's really cool That's pretty cool So that was uh, Citizen science Just I, There's a lot of examples Here we <laughs> only We only have an hour So we try to cover The, the most Interesting ones To us To, to us, us four Anyway, anyway <laughs> uh, So There is One last thing Anahita That you That you're gonna
3: mention Yes So if you are interested In doing some Citizen science A way that You can go about doing it is you know google citizen science Mm -hmm. um and plenty of plenty of options will come out one of them is uh this group called the zooniverse that has people powered research as they call it and um within it different different groups and different projects Mm -hmm. uh, exist where you can go in and it's called citizen science alliance is what lives within zooniverse and you can just scroll through their projects and find lots of interesting things
0: something that Appeals to
3: everyone. Yeah, just Mm -hmm. on their front page, there's plenty about space. There's one with Hubble, one with the moon, uh, looking at solar flares, looking at the Milky Way. Mm -hmm. Things with um, whales are really big, especially uh, matching up whale sounds with a library of whale sounds and identifying if a single whale is part of a family or not.
2: Wow. Mm -hmm. That sounds fun.
3: yeah, Yeah, so there are these groups like the Citizen Science Alliance that you can go to and... Get a wide variety Find. of citizen science projects. Mm-hmm, that are available
1: out in the internets. Um, so, yeah, that's that sounds pretty interesting. Um, thank you for listening. This was a citizen science show. Yeah. Um, and we'll be back next week with some Super Bowl science, maybe, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. Or at least that we think it's somewhat related to the Super Bowl. So if you're not very inclined to see the game...